0: Good to see everyone. Thank Bruce spoke last week. appreciated him um, speaking on last week's message and uh, helping just carry this message series forward. And I was doing a wedding down in um, southern, 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 southern California, close to as far south as you can get, kind of in the middle of the state near Mexicali. And um, pretty. you could see like the mountains of Mexico. And so I'd never been to that part of our state. I don't think, and and beautiful setting for a wedding, like farm on every, like farmland on every side, just fresh plowed fields. It's amazing how straight they can get those lines before they're about to plant. And uh, a beautiful setting, and uh, Sam and Emily Ramos, they were here first service, and so they are newly um, married, and so if you get a chance to see them, they're members of our church and excited for them. So um, let's pray once more. I know we've been doing a lot of praying this morning. And, uh, and that's a good thing. So let, let's pray once again. Father, thank you. We just pause once again. We just thank you for your word. We just exalt you, exalt your word, recognize that it stands far above our ways of thinking and our ways of doing life. God, I ask you to strengthen me right now to just communicate your truth to your people and to those that are here that are also searching. I just pray that you'd minister to us, speak to us. And we pray you just protect our time. Allow us to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been identifying different lies that can defeat us, and we're identifying the lies so that we can get the upper hand in the battle against our thoughts, the thoughts that come to our mind. You think about a field um, and animals running through a field. Our minds can sometimes be a field where animals can run through. They're called thoughts. Thoughts run through our mind, and we just... Sometimes we just let our thoughts go and we just follow everything that bounces through our head. And we think, oh, that must be true. It's in my mind. It must be true. If it shows up in our mind, oftentimes we own it because we think it's ours. And what we've been challenging throughout the series is not every thought that comes through your mind needs to be owned and acted upon. And so there's some thoughts you need to identify. We need to to figure out what is this. And we screen it in a sense and figure out is this something um, that I need to act on or not or reject um, there's a country in Central Asia. Some friends of mine serve in, in this country in Central Asia that's covered with landmines because of the different wars, one after another, different wars. Here's a picture of a, of a landmine that um, is just on the ground. And if you were to go to that country where my friends serve, there are instructions on the seat back of planes that show various types of landmines. This is what they're shaped like. and shows the different landmines in the country, warning you not to go off well-traveled roads. And if you're wise, you pay attention to that because you don't want to just wander off the road and head into an open field because one of your steps may be your last step because landmines can really do significant damage. Take a look. Here's the picture of a detonated landmine. In in a very real way, I mean, we need to have the same type of carefulness when we're dealing with the, the thoughts that run through our mind. If we just let them run, they can take us to some very dangerous places as it relates to our, and they can blow up our stewardships. They can blow up things that are precious to us, our family life, our career, our friendships. And so the way it is in life, we have to just keep fighting to claim the life that God wants us to experience. Um, here, here's some lies that we've been looking at. Um, these are, here's a, kind of a chart of some of the common lies that we've examined. Uh, we've looked at four so far. We'll wrap up today. But the first lie we looked at is the lie of, it's too hard. This life is too hard. This project's too hard. My job's too hard. My family life is too hard. Parenting is too hard. All, the list goes on, but it's too hard. This test is too hard. This degree I program I'm in is too hard. It's too hard to make this relationship work. When those thoughts are coming up, we, we cave into that lie. We lose precious things. Things get destroyed. So we combat that with this truth. And these are just in review. Jeremiah 32, 17. It's really Jeremiah says, Oh, Lord God, it's you who've made the heavens. And the earth by your great power, and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. We've been talking about how you battle the lies; you 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 replace it with what is true. Nothing is too difficult for God. So you yield to His truth, and you reject these different lies. Then another lie we looked at is, "I'm too tired." I felt this this morning, too tired. I started snoozing. Hit the snooze. Hit the snooze. I'm too tired. I don't know about you, but I, I'm really tired today. And. uh Isaiah forty thirty one. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. There's this supernatural strength that, that God can supply if we'll yield this thought of I'm too tired to him. He, he can actually increase our capacity. And we've been talking about that. A few weeks ago we looked at the lie of it's not what I want. Um, this job, the situation I'm in, it's not what I want. And when, when that thought comes up, here's how we battle it. Just as Jesus, facing his own suffering, he, he prayed. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering for me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. See, that's that's how we approach unwanted circumstances. God, I'm not sure what, what to do with this, but I trust you. Help me to do your will. Help me to trust you with your will. The circumstances are not what I want, but not your will. Or not my will, but yours be done in this situation. We can have that same response. Last week, Bruce looked at... This last one is, it's not fair. And he he highlighted a story in the Old Testament and kind of summarized the the response, the truth of this. Joseph said this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. See, God was working out his story. There's this bigger picture that God was writing, and Joseph was a part of it. He was a key player in God's story and history and providing food for the people of Israel. But he did it in a very... Unfair way money would say to joseph I mean joseph went through some horrible ups and downs in his life and he could throw his hands up and say this is just not fair But god was actually using him through this circumstance to provide for for his people And today this last lie is i'm the only one And there's a verse there we're going to look at Um, But one of the most liberating things that i've learned about scripture And have been coached by more mature christians is I can reject the thoughts that come to my mind I don't have to follow my thoughts. I don't have to, to believe everything that comes to my mind. I can refocus my mind on the truth that frees me up to do what pleases God. And, and that's one of the things we've just been restating and restating is you, you have to wrestle down what goes on between your ears. You can't just believe everything you think. And so today we're looking at this thought. I'm the only one. It's easy to slip into this mode that we would call isolation mode, where you're dealing with a circumstance and Especially in in a situation um, where you feel like there's not a lot of people like me, you start separating yourself from the group you isolate yourself you might be tempted to think 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 some different things like I, I can't really relate to this group of people at church. They're not like me you know they, maybe you have a background or a past that is, is different maybe you feel like no one else has experienced the things you've walked through in your life maybe there's some trauma maybe there's some different, just really difficult things that you've faced. And this thought comes up, I'm the only one. We, we withdraw away from groups of people like a church. We, we back off of close relationships and we just kind of have surface level relationships. We might attend worship, but we don't really open up because we think, man, nobody there could possibly understand. That's this lie of, I'm the only one. Or these people here, they're not like me. You get involved in a small group or you get to know people in our church and you think, man, they don't, they don't have the same style. They're not into the same things I'm into. Like, like, I don't know what style I have. I don't know what my style is, if I have a style. <laughs> kind of all over the place. But, you know, he's not like me. He doesn't dress like me. He doesn't do his hair like I do. You know, he's just, he's just different than me. Or this people in this group, they're, they're not like me. And so we have our own definition of what is cool and what's in style. And when I try to have conversations with people, if I'm thinking that I'm the only one, then it feels awkward. Because no one really understands me. We don't value the same things. It just feels like, and so what we do is we, we back away from people and we start isolating ourselves. And we may attend church, but we, we kind of keep our lives at a distance. Well, this is a major strategy. The enemy wants to use this in our lives to do some things. Take a look up here on the screen. It says a major strategy in battle is to isolate the enemy, to cut them off from the troops on their side, who provide support and crucial resources to keep fighting. And to win. And so what our enemy does is he likes to he likes to just reinforce this lie of you're the only one. Because what he wants to do is he wants you to be isolated and to withdraw from people, withdraw from God. The very people who provide support, crucial things in your life, the resources you need to keep on fighting and to be winning. So not lose your grip. If you withdraw, believing this lie, he, he gets you isolated in the place right where he wants you. And to, today's lie cuts us off from the help. It cuts us off from thinking that God is really on our side. It also cuts us off from the people in our life. And what we've seen, or what I've seen, is I've seen person after person after person through the years just bail on following Christ because they feel like no one in the church understands them. They think no one understands me. In and, and reality, this room right here is full of people who can really understand you. We, we may have a lot of that's different about us on the outside. But we probably have a lot more in common in spite of the outward differences. And so, again, don't just automatically believe this lie. Isolation, what it does when you back away from people because you think you're the only one, it magnifies discouragement. It magnifies fear and worry. And then all those things, if we stay in our head long enough, those, those things just get louder and louder. So small groups, for example, that, that's when we draw close to people. That really helps, because in small groups, you can start talking things out. You can hear other people's perspective. You can get God's perspective. You start talking about what he has to say. But the truth is, whenever I'm isolated, I'm easily defeated. That's not in your listening guide, but that's, that's really true. Whenever I'm isolated, I'm just setting myself up to be defeated. And so we're going to look again at an Old Testament story that illustrates how this like and threatened to defeat us. We're going to be looking at First Samuel chapter 13 and 14. And this is during the time of Israel's first king. His name was King Saul. And here's some background on on Saul's story. Saul was the first king. He'd been appointed by a priest, prophet named um, Samuel. And Samuel gave Saul some specific instructions after he anointed Saul, the new king. Now, he's the first king who'd ruled the people of Israel. And so the priest kind of blesses him, anoints him with oil, and says, here's the instructions for you. And take a look, First Samuel 10 verse 4 says, tells Saul, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So the, the, what he tells the king to do is go to this town and wait for me. Says, I'm eventually going to come there and I'm going to offer up, the, the priest says, I'll offer up burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, really... Asking God for his blessing, dealing with the sin of the people, the priest says, Hey, wait for me to do that. So two years go by and Saul he he's in Gilgal, just as he was instructed by this by this prophet and priest, and the people of Israel are being threatened by this huge military army known as the Philistines. You probably if you've read through some of the Old Testament, then you probably encountered the Philistine army. And Saul he starts seeing this large massive army and he he divides up his troops. He takes 2,000 of his own men to himself and he gives 1,000 troops to his son, Jonathan, the prince. The prince prince of Israel. And uh, so you got Saul with 2,000 men, Jonathan with 1,000 men in a certain region. They're kind of near each other, but they're covering different territory. And Jonathan, the, the prince, he gets into a fight. He gets into a skirmish with some of the Philistines enough to where it provokes the Philistines to start mounting their army to attack Israel. The Philistines greatly outnumber Israel. They're going to really just devastate them if you look at the sheer difference in size. So this is from 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. It says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, so there's two horsemen for each chariot, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and they camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon, And when the men of Israel saw that their situation was crucial or was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and in thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Um, So they start seeing the size of the Philistine army, and they compare the size of the Israelite army, their army, to the enemy, and they realize, man, we're outnumbered. And this is the storyline for most of what we've been talking about in this message series, just greatly outnumbered. Well, they start hiding. They're hiding in pits and cisterns and wells, you know, there's rocks and crevices and now hiding wasn't their military strategy. This wasn't like, well, we're a small group, so we're gonna to try to we're gonna duck in that well, you go in that crowd. What are they doing here? They're yeah, they're they're afraid. They're in panic and so they're they they are they're not this isn't military strategy. This is we're hiding for our lives. We're afraid of what's going to happen. Look at the next verse. It goes on. So some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan, meaning they're heading home. They're not going to keep advancing. They're, they're getting out of the promised land. They head to the land of Gad and Gilead. Some in their panic, they just flee the country. They flee for their lives. But Saul, it says, he remained at Gilgal just as Samuel instructed him. Remember the prophet, the priest said, hey, you wait for me. I'm going to come there. I'm going to offer up the fellowship offerings. But it says, and all the troops were quaking with fear. And at this point, the courage, the resolve of, of these troops, you know, they're afraid to move forward. They're afraid because they did the math. They added up their troops. They looked at the enemy and they realized they were going to get beaten. But King Saul, he keeps kind of watching these people disappear and hide. And he keeps waiting for Samuel, the prophet, to show up like he said he would. And look at verse verse 8. Saul waits seven days, just like Samuel said, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel didn't come. And Saul's man began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. So what he does is he gets hasty. The king gets hasty because some, at some point on the seventh day, he just decides, I can't wait any longer. It's still the seventh day, but he just says, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. He offers up the offering, the burnt offering. The fellowship offering. What he's trying to do, he's saying, if we're going to go fight against the Philistines, we need God on our side. And so he says, go get the offering. Let's just do this right now. And he starts you know, going through the, the offering ritual. And he's really trying to gain favor. But what he did was he wasn't careful to obey what Samuel said, which is, wait for me. I'll be there. Well, verse 10 says, just as he finished making the offering, just as he finished making the offering, there's Samuel. Samuel arrives. Oops. Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel? Because Samuel sees the smoke. He knows what's happened. He knows that Saul rushed ahead in haste. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were, were assembling at Michmash, he says, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord and asked for the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled, he said, to offer up the burnt offering. He just felt like he should do it. He, you know, with the details, we've been talking about how important it is to, to pay attention to God's details. Pay attention carefully. Keep your careful obedience. Saul got a little hasty here, and he, he was impatient. Verse 13, he says, you acted foolishly. This is what the priest tells him. You acted foolishly. You see, we get into this whenever we just act without thinking about the consequences. We think, yeah, I know God's word says this, or God has told me this. We kind of fudge on the details and we do what we think is right in the moment. This is what is going on here. Samuel said, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. He said, if you had, you, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. And so Samuel leaves. He leaves Saul there. And Saul starts counting his army. He realizes, wow, God's not, I don't even have God's man on my side. I've done foolishly. He starts counting up his army and he realizes he only has 600 of his own men. 600 men to fight against an army larger than the sands of the seashore, once again. And then they don't even have weapons. Look at these verses. They're going to fight against the Philistines, but they don't even have any weapons, no swords, no spears. It says about Israel, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. You see, the Philistines, they didn't want to allow them to learn how to work with metals and to be blacksmiths to, to create weapons because they wanted to keep them you know, without any military supplies. Because the Philistines had said otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. So anytime the Hebrews did want to do something, they would have to go to the Philistines and they'd have to have their blacksmiths you know, sharpen their farming tools so that they could survive. The next verse says this. The Philistines, they would gouge the prices. They wouldn't even really allow the Israelites to afford it. The price was two-thirds of a shekel. So these are... These are costs that the the common families just couldn't afford. The price was two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes, and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier, it says, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. So you got six hundred men, but they're they're weaponless, and only Jonathan and Saul had a weapon. So you got the king and you got the prince with weapons, and you got five hundred ninety-eight. People without weapons. And at this point, it appears that no one in the Israelite camp wants to go to fight. They're thinking, how can we negotiate? We're definitely not going to win this battle. We're greatly outnumbered. But here, here's where the really the, the lie of I'm the only one begins to creep in. You realize, you know, I'm all alone. We're all alone. God's not going to deliver us. Why would he? How could he? And it's at this point that the prince, Jonathan, he takes a bold faith step. He actually approaches to attack the Philistines. So the prince, Jonathan, he brings his armor bearer along and he leaves the 600 men secretly. He doesn't tell anybody he's going, but he heads over to the Philistine outpost. And look what it says in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. He's talking about the Philistine army. He says, Perhaps... The Lord will act in our, beha- in our behalf. Perhaps. I find it interesting. Perhaps God will act in our behalf. The co- he has the courage to go and to fight without even knowing the outcome. Maybe God will deliver us. Two men against this huge army. And then he says this, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. When we start thinking about I'm the only one, we have this limitation on God's power. I'm the only one. I'm isolating myself. We're limiting what God can do through a group or what God can do among his church. But Jonathan, what he did here is he put his full confidence in the Lord and in his power to save And Look at how his armor bearer responds. Verse 7, it says, the armor bearer replies and says, do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. And so they they head up there. You see, what's happened here is the armor bearer. He's drawn in. It says heart and soul, meaning his heart was in it. I'm willing to die with you. I'm willing to go down fighting. Have you ever been drawn in by the faith step of another person? You see somebody else. Nobody else wants to to move forward and do what's right. And one person steps forward in faith. And how you're like, you know what? If he's going, I'm going too. If she's going, if she's going to open up her life and, and... start opening up her life with others and and really being honest about who she really is, then, then I can do that as well. We get drawn forward when we see other people taking steps of faith, even though we feel like being isolated and alone. You see, the one person, this is in your listening guide, one person acting in faith to do what is right inspires and brings others along. That's what Jonathan did. He's just one man, but he acts in faith. And it starts inspiring an armor bearer who says, look, we'll go. I'll go with you. And we need this. We need these kinds of examples in our lives. We need this in our church. We need this among our close group of friends. We need people who will call us forward by their example of faith. I want to show you a a video clip. This is a throwback to the 1940s. This is a movie called New Moon. And their circumstance in this movie is similar to Israel. It's very similar to Israel's circumstance. They're sailors and their ship, the New Moon, is called, the New Moon has been overtaken. And they need to take back this ship or they're going to lose the life that they once enjoyed. And so their leader starts trying to rally them as a troop or as a group of sailors. And I want to show you this video clip. It's different. I'm just going to tell you. 1940, so you can't have a movie, a serious movie about people breaking into song. And so there's going to be like a real hearty song. But try to focus on the lyrics of what they're saying and seeing how um, this, you know, there's an opportunity to just think, yeah, we're the only ones. We've lost our ship, or in their case, we're going to lose this battle and start isolating and running away like you see with the armies of Israel. But look at how just as Jonathan steps forward and says, hey, look, perhaps the Lord will, will act on our behalf. This is what happens in this video. So let's go ahead and watch this together.
1: In a few hours, the troops will take over the stockades. If we're ever to have our freedom, we've got to fight for it tonight. You're yeah. crazy! Where can we go? There are a few men left on the New Moon. It's our ship. We're strong enough if brave enough to take it back. Who's with me? Not me. I don't like it. What are we to lose but a life of starvation and servitude? A parroting a ship means hanging if we're caught. If we're not killed first. That's right. right. Uh, it's our own ship we're taking back. The Marines will shoot us down like animals. Would you rather live like animals? Without guns, we haven't a chance. We have a chance. Tom Boy, you were a gunner on the Spanish main. And that I was, sir. Jack, you were a sail rigger. Aye. There's I, enough seamen the amongst us to sail a ship to the end of the earth. Friends, will you come with me and show the king's marines how the king's rebels can fight? All right, if I have to, I'll go alone. Wait, Charles, I'll go with you. One man at last. And me too, sir. Two. I'm with you, Charles. Now the score of me Five, right. six, seven, eight, nine. Hello, now we're ten.
0: That makes an army. Come on.
1: Right to the Gonzales Stockade! Tell them in, we're marching to the Bayou. Ice check. to the M'Gurris Stockade. I Well, there'll be an arm. I sir. Who's going to stop us now? Give me some men who are stout-hearted men who will fight for the right they adore. Start me with ten who are stout-hearted men, and I'll soon give you ten thousand more. So
0: It's one of those scenes. He, he really does hold it for a long time. We had to cut it off, but but he says first he says who will go? No one. Fine, I'll go alone. What it does is right away it draws other people forward. One, two, three other guys. You know, eventually they have ten. Then they take off. Everyone back there is like, I ain't staying here because they're all drawn forward. They're, this is the way one person acting in faith. This is what happens. You, you might want to withdraw. But if you'll step forward and stay away from the isolation mode or buying into that thought of I'm the only one, if you'll keep moving towards God, moving towards people, it inspires the rest of us to keep going. It inspires the rest of us to act in faith as well. One of the lines in the song that he's singing is, hearts can inspire other hearts with their fire. And that's the idea. You get your heart into something, you get your heart around obeying the Lord, that inspires other people when they see your courage and you taking a bold faith step. Jonathan, what happens is Jonathan and his armor bearer, they attack the Philistines, just the two of them, and they take out 20 of the Philistines. Then God acts. It says this in verse 15. It says, then panic. After 20, they, they fought and defeated 20 men. Then panic struck the whole Philistine army, those in the camp and in the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. God steps in. And there's this huge panic. And after this, Jonathan's bravery rallies the rest of the troops of Israel. And God steps in and saves Israel. Look at verse 20. It says, Then Saul and all his men assembled, and they went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. God sent this panic, and it caused the enemy army to just start slaying each other. They're in this huge panic. Those Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with their with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And then look what happened in verse 22. All the people who were retreating, when all the Israelites who had hidden, they heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined in the battle. And so the Lord rescued Israel that day. And then the battle moved on from there. Once again, God came through. But in this story, Jonathan, he illustrates some key strategies for how to face this lie of I'm the only one. And there's really three basic things that I want to highlight here. And this is kind of near the bottom. God helps us in the battle. As we do these three things, the first thing is this, as we choose strength, courage and carefulness. In our stewardships, whatever you're responsible for, I don't know about you, but when I feel alone, I'm more prone to give up. I'm more prone to let go of, of my courage, let go of my responsibilities and just stop fighting. But whenever we feel lo- lonely and no one understands us, we tend to look at our circumstances and we get overwhelmed. We start thinking, how can I do this on my own? How can I fight when no one else is experiencing the things that I'm how can I obey when no one else understands me? But this is why reading the scriptures and getting to know what God has to say is so critical because as we encounter what God says in His Word, the truth gives us it gives us the ability to discard. It's like a discard pile when you're playing cards. Sometimes you have a you have cards that are just bad cards, and you need to discard those things, throw them in the discard pile. Get some new cards. God's word provides us with the ability to replace the stuff that needs to be discarded and rejected. We take in what God says, the truth of the word of God, and it gives us a picture. The word of God gives us a picture of what to place on the discard pile. And so these things of strength, courage, and carefulness, we looked at these in the launch of this series. These are critical things that God told one of the early leaders of the Israelite army to not loosen. Uh, Secondly, God also helps us in the battle as we take a faith angle. This is what Jonathan did. He took a faith angle in the midst of a challenge. He knew that God could choose to intervene. And he knew that God can interact in any way that he wanted to. And when we think we're alone, the focus is on ourselves. When we choose faith, we realize there's a lot more going on here than I had assumed. God is at work. And faith is deciding that even if I feel like I'm alone, I'm really not the only one. I will still do what God wants me to do. I'll determine that God is going to you know, he's going to work this thing out as I trust him, as I obey him. He's, in the, he's, he's at work in the situation. This is crucial. And the last thing is, remember, God is the number one factor in our success. This is, I think, one of the themes that we've seen through this whole series is that God keeps stepping in. At a point in time where he, those people really needed him to move and act, God steps in. He's the number one factor in our success. Whenever the enemy thought comes, you have to allow these thoughts of I'm the only one or it's too hard or I'm too tired. Allow those thoughts to move you towards God, who will provide what you need in the midst of the battle. If you allow the thoughts to to cause you to withdraw, if you don't move towards God, then you lose. You you get easily defeated. And those thoughts take your life um, down the wrong paths. But we need God's help. Proverbs 21 reminds us of this. Proverbs 21.30 says, says there is no wisdom no insight no plan that can succeed against the lord nothing the horse is made ready for the day of battle but victory rests with the lord ultimately this passage reminds us remember god's the number one factor in our success in battling these enemy thoughts what these verses help us remember is that we still just need to choose to rely on god's power daily at all times throughout the battle because god holds the victory for us the power of it comes from Him. I want to invite Cody and our worship team to come back up and the ushers also to prepare to receive this morning's offering. Here's a few next steps that you can consider taking. One is to memorize 1 Samuel 14.6. This is the verse that Jonathan you know, states where he says, Maybe the Lord will help us. The Lord can give us victory if we have many people or just a few. See, it's in the Lord's hands. This is a declaration that this man made. I would encourage you to memorize this because as you store this in your heart and you store it in your mind, God can draw that out of you when you start being tempted to go towards isolation. This, this, This moves us forward. Maybe God will help us here. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him to deliver me in this situation. Or second, take a step out of isolation. One of the main places of isolation is if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're here but you've not yet yielded your life to Christ, you're trying to do life on your own, You're isolating yourself from the resources God wants to provide. He wants to provide a relationship with Him. He wants to provide forgiveness of sins. He also wants to provide His spirit who can live inside of you to strengthen you to live this life in a victorious way. But if you never take that step of faith and cross a line yielding your life to Jesus Christ, then you keep yourself limited and isolated. So the first thing I would really encourage you to do if you've never done that, on the back of our connection card, is, it says on there, I'd like... Um, I'd like to learn more about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to introduce you to Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. We would love to be able to have a conversation with you and send some information to you and help you sort out um, nailing this decision down to follow Jesus as, as Lord. If you've already done that and you're battling with some things, maybe it's some sin or maybe it's some, just some difficulty that's gone on in your life and it's caused you to withdraw and isolate from people, then I'd encourage you to personalize this step for yourself. What is that step out of isolation that I need to take this morning? If God's showing you something, I'd encourage you to jot that down for your, for your own growth. But let's go to the Lord as we pray and just respond. Father, thank you, for, thank you for your word once again. Thank you for these stories that, Lord, even though these stories you know, thousands of years ago, people that we've never met, we relate to you. They relate, related to you. serve the same God you're not limited in your power to save you're not limited in your ability to deliver you're not held back in any way from helping us grow past some of the things and some of these thoughts that just keep us crippled and keep destroying the things that are precious to us God I pray that you today for some if there's any that have never yielded their life to you some here would just say, Today, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just offer Him my life. I bring my sin. I bring all of the junk and the baggage and the garbage and the stuff that i piled up for a lifetime. And I hand that to You, Lord Jesus. I accept Your sacrifice for me on the cross. You paid the penalty of my own rebellion. I deserve to die, but yet You went to the cross for us, Lord. And we just thank You for that. And if there's anybody here that needs to yield their life, I pray today that they would either have a conversation with someone here, get some questions answered about this. Lord, for any that are just stuck in some things and isolated, I pray that you draw them towards yourself out of the out of that isolation, Lord. Just in a relationship with you where they can relate freely, really getting to know you, God. Thank you for just these people that you've brought in our church, Lord, and just what you're doing in our lives. We pray that we would, when we feel... Like the steps are too hard, that we'd recognize that if we'll take steps of faith, that that can really inspire others along. It can bring others along, just like we saw in the story of John. So we just pray for the men and women in this room. There will be people who take faith steps, regardless of how they feel. Lord, help us to be those types of people. pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen um our ushers right now you guys can go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings and